of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. All right, so the Browns season came to an end with a loss at Pittsburgh. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Um, a coach got fired after a game-ending uh, loss, uh, or season-ending loss in Pittsburgh. Stop me if you heard that one before. And to break it all down, about the 7-10 and 10 Browns looking for a new defensive coordinator. Let's go to the hotline right now and bring in the outstanding Browns beat reporter at brownzone.com. Follow him on Twitter at Scott Petrak. He is Scott Petrak. Scotty, Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're very good. Thanks so much uh, for making time for us today and all season long. And, and as I said, Scotty, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, let's start with the 7-10 and 10 season that ended with Deshaun Watson at quarterback for the final six. He goes 3-3. Three and three. They lose in Pittsburgh. Just your thoughts as you look back on the season or what a lot of people are saying was two seasons, the Brissett season and the Watson season. Yeah, there was certainly a divide there, and I think that made things difficult first not having your guy for 11 games and then the transition because it was a big transition from a style standpoint, what you wanted to do on offense, not to mention the rust that you know was evident in how Watson played. Um, but for me, they still had chances, right? And you know, you look at week two against the Jets, week four against the Falcons, week five against the Chargers. Those three games right there, the Browns, I think they led all three of them in the fourth quarter. Certainly they had, you know, were up 13 against the Jets. They couldn't stop the run against the Falcons. They had a missed field goal against the Chargers um, to win it. You know, if you flip two of those, then that Steelers game means a ton, right? And it might take on, certainly takes on a different tone. You never know what happens. So um, I, I still think there were chances for this team despite the disruption a quarterback, and despite all the other issues that it faced, you know, including a run defense that couldn't stop anybody. Scotty, we know a lot of these issues, and that is one of them, not being able to stop the run. But I go back to the first game, and then we saw it again in the last game of the season, even though the defense, for whatever reason, seemingly the last five or six weeks, played halfway decent. So a lot of people think that Joe Woods may or may not have been a scapegoat. We'll save that for later on in the conversation. But my question to you is this. With the lack or breakdown of communication in the secondary with this defense under Joe Woods, how difficult was this scheme? I mean, is this something that was really lacking, or was this just a lack of personnel? Yeah, that's an interesting topic. Um, You know, we talked to Joe a lot over three years about whether or not, you know, he needed to simplify things. And we talk about dialing back the menu. And then we get to the end of the season, the day after the season, and Greg Newsome and John Johnson the third both talk about, you know, going more vanilla and giving you a chance to just react. And I get that from one level from a player perspective, right? You want to keep things simple. You want your guys to play fast. I also think that, you know, this team's supposed to be smart, right? They, they're signing guys and drafting guys. You're telling me that they couldn't figure out a couple, a couple of things, right? Like you couldn't figure out a scheme. Like it didn't seem that complicated to me so obviously they struggled to find that balance between um 
you know, simple and too complicated and being able to confuse the quarterback, you know, the opposing quarterback. But they certainly struggled with that. And, you know, they figured things out as the season went along um, until there was one, you know, big breakdown. And whether that was just a great play call from the Steelers or not, um, they had one touchdown where Pickens was running wide open down the seam. Is this a huge advantage for whoever the new defensive coordinator is coming in? The, a huge advantage? Advantage, knowing exactly what they have to address. And maybe, does this lead the Browns to look at somebody, maybe in a brighter light, maybe it's Flores, maybe it's Schwartz or whomever, we know this guy can come in and fix this secondary. Yeah, well, see, like I won't put it all on a secondary. I mean, the secondary, if you look at like their stats and the advanced stats even, their numbers are really good. Now, part of that is teams didn't throw it as much because yeah. they were having so mm-hmm. much success running it. Um, the other part of it, I think they're pretty talented, especially at the corner position, right? And that's the most important. You got Denzel Ward, and you got um, Greg Newsom the second. You got Martin Emerson Jr. You have some depth there. You had some depth there with Greedy Williams and AJ Green. So I, I think there is talent there, which helps. Um, but I, I do think when you look at whoever the new defense coordinator is, it, the fact that you can easily identify some of the problems. Now, some of them are harder to identify the discipline and the just finding the right mix of guys. But if you say, hey, we need to be better, one, in communication in the secondary, and two, stopping the run, um, it, it gives you some things to certainly focus on if you're the guy taking charge of that unit. Scott Petrak joining us, outstanding Browns beat reporter, brownzone.com, Illyria Chronicle Telegram, uh, covers the team on a daily basis. So he uh, uh, got to watch the soap opera from start to end uh, this past season. Scotty, how bad of a season was this from that standpoint? And, you know, we go from the, uh, the golf cart tire tracks on the field, Deshaun Watson off the field, the car crash with uh, Miles Garrett, and then ending with Jadavian Clowney's issue. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we talk about all the time, all the drama and distractions, and there's no denying that that's been a theme here. Um, you know, I don't think it – if you remove Deshaun Watson from the equation, right, like that took on a whole other element. We talked about that a ton, guys. That dominated the offseason, you know, it alienated part of the fan base. Um, so that just changes the whole discussion. But if you just go from on the field starting week one um, – you know, there were still issues. I think the ending with Clowney was a bad, bad look. I think mostly for him. But the team does not escape blame or scrutiny there at all. Um, but I don't think it matches, you know, like last year. You had the Odell-Baker stuff. To me, that was a bigger deal than some of the stuff the Browns went through this year. And we can go back through time and there's been something going on. So, uh, you know, I, I think you can say this is part of that long view and I would agree with that, but I don't think it was as bad. You know, things feel more stable to me, but it's certainly not ending on the right note when you look at the record and then especially um, how it ended with Clowney and then the firing of Joe Woods. Scotty, what we learned from watching the Cavaliers last year is the fact that when you lose everybody on your team, you're not going to be that great heading towards the playoffs. And we understand we haven't been in the playoffs in two years with the Cleveland Browns. But we also understand when we look at this roster, especially the defense, and all of your linebackers are injured, you bring in a Reggie Ragland at linebacker. Bigger than anyone else that's been on that team that I can remember. Do you think Andrew Barry looks at this guy in stature anyway and says, hey, maybe we need more guys that are 6'6", 230, or whatever it is. I mean, this dude is a big, run-stopping linebacker, played decently towards the end of the season, 
but he's not what they've had in the past. You think they learned yeah. from that? I mean, yeah, he's like 252 pounds. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, you're not going to see – well, number one, Andrew Barry said a lot of it will depend on who the coordinator is, mm. right? You have to cater your defense to what kind of scheme the coordinator wants to run and what kind of personnel he's looking for. And then it's up to the front office and the personnel staff to go match that and to go fill those needs. So if whoever you hire says, hey, we need to be more stout at linebackers, then, yeah, I think you'll okay. see um, more of that Reggie Ragland type. Now, I don't think they're going to go three guys like that, um, but could you have one that you can play in the middle um, against the Steelers and the Ravens, teams like that? That makes sense to me. Um, I still think you need to be flexible and versatile and you have to have guys that can run because I still think the league is trending in that direction. But you could see a change there, and certainly at defensive tackle, if the new coordinator says, hey, we got to have at least one run stuffer. I, I need mm-hmm. that for my defense. Um, I would expect Barry and DePodesta to be flexible enough where they would address that. Scotty, you were there for the year-end press conference with general manager Andrew Barry and head coach Kevin Stefanski. One of the things JT and I both thought was interesting, and I don't know if we're making a, a mountain out of a molehill, but Stefanski went out of his way, it sounded like to me, to say, I fired Joe Woods, okay? Just your thoughts on that exact comment from him, because I think there were some people who felt maybe he was told, you have to get rid of him, and if you don't, then there may be other issues. So are we making more out of this? I, I think it's certainly worth pointing out, and, and I thought Andrew Barry also spoke in the same kind of tones, like, when Kevin hires the next guy or when Kevin makes this decision, right, it was it was certainly yeah. a unified front in the fact that it, it's up to Kevin Stefanski, right? This is his decision. And, you know, we don't know if that's the 100% reality. You know, I'm sure it's right. in Kevin's contract that he gets to hire the coordinators, right, or else why would they make it such a point of that? Um, you know, he said he'll take input from everybody, and that's how the organization is run. But it is worth noting because you know that, that isn't always the case in organizations. And you know that it feels like at least the Podesta and Barry have some say in big picture, you know, in, in things that you might otherwise leave to the coaching staff. All right. What else did you take away from that year end press conference? A lot of times they talk a lot and say nothing. Did yeah. you grasp anything that uh, you thought was informative? Yeah. I thought one of the things was we don't know for sure about the future of special teams coordinator, Mike Kiefer. And, you know, Kevin Stefanski was asked that point blank. If you decided, right. made a decision, you said, no, we're going to talk to the coaches the rest of the week. And you could say that, but it's the juxtaposition when you've already, you've already fired Joe Woods, right? So mm-hmm. if you made the decision about Joe Woods, then why not say, yeah, we're keeping Kiefer. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and I don't think we have full resolution on that yet, whether Kiefer staying or not. Um, so I thought that was interesting how they addressed that. Um, I thought not only from the press conference, but being in the locker room, I certainly have the sense that there's going to be big changes to how this offense is run mm-hmm. next year. And Deshaun Watson said he wanted to sit down, or he was going to sit down man-to-man with Kevin Stefanski, and he said he expected his offense to look totally different. And, you know, Stefanski didn't go say the same, go to that length when he described it. You didn't use the same terms. But he said he had met with Watson Monday, and they were going to meet again Tuesday. And, and I think that's important because we talked about the shift from the Jacoby Brissett offense to the Deshaun Watson offense. 
and you saw it, but it was almost like stops and starts. You know, you see a little bit of RPO, you see a little bit of quarterback run, a little bit of zone read. Um, and I think when you show up for training camp and or week one next year, you're going to see a lot more of it. And then I don't think, I, I think it will look significantly different, which is going to be an adjustment from the offense that fans and media have watched under Kevin Stefanski for three seasons. Scotty, I wanted to ask you about that training camp because last season we got to go up to training camp and I think we saw you the one day, but I go, I told Kenny a million times I got nothing out of it because it just didn't look as though that they were really into it or really learning anything. And that's for another story. But Mike, my, my question has got to be this. When the Eagles came to town, was there that big of a huge disparity in the talent that you saw? Because we saw the way they approached their spring training or their, their training camp. They came to Cleveland. Then they went and they played in Miami. And the Browns just seemed to go through the motions and, hey, when the season starts, we'll roll out our talent and all will be well in Berea. Well, it didn't end up that way. Do you feel that they need to spend more attention to detail in training camp? Um, well, there's a lot there, JT. I, like, I think they paid a lot of attention to detail. Hmm. They don't go full bore. Right? There's not a lot of – there's no tackling. There's not a lot of super full contact. Um, you know, I don't think they had a scrimmage this season, uh, you know, this training camp. So it's, it's less strenuous, and, and that's by design because they're trying to get this team through a 17-game season, and they're trying to get them healthy to week one, and that is clearly the number one priority. And we can fight about whether that should be the number one priority, mm-hmm. but it certainly is for the Browns, and I think – I know that that's why they approach it like they approach it, but I don't think that means a lack of attention to detail or going through the motions. I think it's just they practice differently than certainly everyone did a decade ago and probably differently than some teams still do today. If you watch the Lions on Hard Knocks, I think you could argue that they practice differently than the Browns do. Um, And when it comes to that Eagles, you know, those two days, it's tough. You know, I didn't think they were, like, outclassed by the Eagles in those practices. I thought – the Browns won some of them in, you know, some of the segments of practice. And I thought the Eagles won some of them, um, you know, but that was also a time where it wasn't a whole lot of Deshaun Watts. The shift mm-hmm. had been made mostly to Jacoby Brissett. So there's just a lot going on right. for this team during camp, which was hard for, I think, Stefanski and the rest of the coaching staff to juggle all of them. That's interesting to me because that's the reason I asked that question, because I've heard from both. And I've heard from other beat writers that say, oh, no, they were really cl- they're, they're way classier because they're the best record in the NFL right now or one of the, if not the best team in the NFL. Everybody says, see, if you'd have done more like the Eagles did, but we saw it uh, you know, kind of the same way because we saw some of the things that they did when the Eagles were here, and then it ended up in the scrimmage. We lose the scrimmage, the preseason game, but I've heard both. During those practices, they didn't really outclass us that much. So you're wondering where things changed. Well, yeah, I mean, you have, I mean, you know, things changed throughout the whole season. Like, I, like I, I'm not saying your question isn't important. I, I just know that everything changes in the NFL. Mm. Things change from week one to week seven to week 14. Like, you know, Jacksonville was out of the playoffs and then they get hot late, right? Like, right. a lot of stuff affects the season and changes and it's how you adapt and it's how you figure stuff out as you go along. So, uh, you know, the Eagles are super talented and I think they're probably more talented than the Browns. And that's a huge credit to their personnel department. Um, I'm sure you can argue. I'm sure their coach had a better year. Their coaching staff had a better year than the Browns <laughs> coaching staff because of the record. And then the quarterback quarterback played at an MVP level until he got hurt. So and you throw all that in the mix, 
Um, but if you want to talk about one of the areas of differences, it's they had a more productive, I think, defensive line mm-hmm. overall. And the Browns did not, especially when you look at that tackle position. Scott Petrak, our guest, breaking down the Browns' 7-10 and 10 season. Uh, your thoughts specifically, Scott Petrak, on Deshaun Watson's performance. Uh, I expected more, and I know he hadn't played in 700 days, uh, but by the fifth or sixth game, I expected a hell of a lot more from Deshaun Watson. And I know it may be unfair to bring this up because of the system they run in San Francisco, but if Kyle Shanahan can get a kid that never played in the NFL and was the last pick of the draft to lead them uh, you know, to the, uh, the, the playoffs as one of the top teams in the NFC and play at a high level like that, I expected Deshaun Watson to at least be at that level as well. And, and to me, he wasn't. Your thoughts on him? Yeah, I'm kind of torn about that last part. Can you like, I completely get what you're saying, and I'm not even saying it's wrong. It's just, you know, circumstances are different, right? San Francisco's a winning team. They're just they're trying to do everything they can to win and to get themselves in the playoffs and to get a good spot, and they're running the ball great, and they're playing great defense, and you're not asking Purdy to do a bunch. Yet, he's played out of his mind, right? And it's an amazing yep. story. So, you know, it's not completely apples to oranges, but there is some comparison there, so I get what you're saying. When it comes to Watson – I expected more, and I'm trying to figure out, still in my head, and I've been thinking about it for, you know, a week plus, were those expectations that I had, and you said you had, and I think a lot of people had, were they unfair? And Watson, he didn't say they were unfair, but he said his expectations were different. He did not expect to come in and light it up and win MVP. Um, You know, he almost seemed, and I don't have the quote memorized, but he almost seemed like 3-3 and seemed like, you know, kind of the, what should have been the normal expectation. You know, he didn't come in and expect to go 6-0. and And a lot of us are thinking, well, once you get Watson back, the schedule gets easier. You can go 5-1 and down the stretch. And right. I guess I'm saying maybe that was too much to ask, given the 700 days, given the huge change in system that he was under, you know, that he was forced to go through. Um, and certainly they weren't able to make it work enough. You know, there were plenty of glimpses. Um, you look at that second half of the Washington game where he threw the three touchdowns, that felt like, okay, this looks like you thought it would look like with Deshaun Watson, but there was not him taking over games. There was not him leading a fourth-quarter drive to go win the game. I thought against Pittsburgh, he looked uncomfortable in the pocket, and yeah, he, got, he was under duress a lot, but part of that was because he didn't know where to go with the ball, and he held on to it too long when the Steelers dropped in coverage, and he didn't know when to bail early when he should have. So, you know, I I think there were, it was not as good as I expected it to be. And I think that, you know, I don't know how much that's going to impact next year, but I certainly um, think it's a concern given that I'm with you, Kenny. I thought by week 17 and 18, he would look a lot more like the Watson of 2020 than he did. Yeah. That everybody points to that Washington second half, but they forget about how awful he was in the first half, Scotty, right? I mean, as bad, as good as he was in the second half, he was that bad in the first half. So are we just are, are we excited about two quarters of play out of a possible twenty four quarters of play? Well, I mean, to me, the default is still Watson in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. Right? It's not like this is not like this is the first time we've ever seen a play and you're grasping at straws. Right? He right. was a great player, probably an elite player, the last time he played. So. I think it's fair to expect him to get back to that level. Now, 
I think in order for that to happen, he needs to be clear in his head. And I think that's really tough to judge because, you know, I, I just never know how to phrase this. I don't want to say he's been through a lot because he brought all the off-field stuff on himself, right? Or at least right. it feels like he did. Um, but let's just say, let's phrase it that way. He's dealt with a lot. Can he move past that? Can he compartmentalize it and get back to being the same mental player he was before all of it went down? And, you know, that I'm not sure you can tell that until he shows up, right? Because you don't know what's going through a guy's head. So, but to me, that's the number one question. And if he answers that, then it is, how can Kevin Stefanski build the offense around him to best take advantage of his skill set? And I think that's what those discussions are about. I think Stefanski's smart enough and flexible enough to do that. Um, but those are my two questions. Because he still throws the ball great, and he still runs it great. And if you're finding a quarterback and building a quarterback – those are the first two things you look for, as well as being a decision maker. And throughout his career, he's always been a good, good decision maker. So, like, I keep going back to that. I'm not so much focused on, well, he made some good throws against Washington. It's, well, there's no reason that he can't go back to who he was in 19 and 20. Four seasons with one team's got to help, too. And I know he went through different coaching changes at Houston, but this is only six games after 700 days off. I don't think it's a fair assessment of how good he can be. But the thing is, like Kenny says, there's going to be question marks because maybe the expectations were just too high. And if they have been, we're in trouble. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think the expectations are too high for the team. You know, maybe they were for his performance coming back in that short window. I think that's a fair discussion to have. But then I certainly say this, they're going to be sky high week one, and they should be. And And he even said that. He welcomes that not only for himself, but for the team, right? Like, there's no more grace period. And I think that's fair. He's played six games. He's going to have an entire offseason, assuming he stays healthy and everything. And he's going to have an entire training camp and preseason. There's no reason that, you know, I mean, sure, the offense will change some, but he should be back to being the guy he was yes. early in 2023. Right. If he's not, then we have some serious questions. The Browns have some serious questions because they are relying on him to carry this team. Do they have the right talent around him on the offense? Well, they need another – they need at least one more receiver wide out, and I think they need one with speed. And Anthony Schwartz was supposed to be that guy, and he hasn't been, and there's not a whole lot of signs pointing that he will be that guy. Um, when I look at this offense, I think there's a glaring speed need there. Um, you know, Cooper is fine. He's fast enough. Don Peoples-Jones is not a guy that separates. They're both kind of longer speed guys. You need that quicker burst guy. Um, and they don't really have that. David Bell's not that guy. Um, so I, I think that's a huge need, and whether or not you need one more guy to round out their receiving core, maybe. And then I think, uh, you know, I would like to see an upgrade over Harrison Bryant at the number two tight end. You know, when you're talking about surrounding your guy, your quarterback, with a bunch of talent, um, that's how I would do it. And then you can say, okay, we're going to score a bunch of points, and maybe we don't need to stop the run because teams are going to have to throw the ball to keep up with the keep up with you. Well, that starts with let's give Watson a bunch of guys to throw to. And right now it feels like Cooper, DPJ, and Njoku, and then not much besides that. Obviously, they felt their biggest need, Scott Petrack, and the organization was a new defensive coordinator, and they've already started the search for that, right? They've interviewed Mm -hmm. at least two guys already for that. But from a player standpoint, you mentioned speedy wide receiver, a quick wide receiver on offense. What is your biggest need for the Cleveland Browns from your eyes, watching them, talking to them, breaking it down after a 7-10 and 10 season? 
Yeah, all the things we talked about, I would still go ahead of that is a defensive end opposite Miles Garrett. I think that position is so important, and obviously Clowney's not going to be back. Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas, the two rookies they drafted you know, in April, um, they're not ready to be star- starters in this league. Um, Chase Winovich isn't a starter, and he's you know, going to be a free agent in March. or scheduled to be. You need to find a bookend for Miles Garrett. And it feels like the Browns are going to continue to find short-term answers. Right, they had Olivia Vernon, and then they had Jadavian Clowney. I'm not convinced they're going to go find a young, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a drafted guy in the second round or go sign a young free agent. It feels like they're going to get a more established guy that can play that role for a year or two. But you got to find the right guy because you need the guy opposite Miles Garrett. I think for that line to be as successful and as impactful as you need it to be. And I just think that position is more important than your third receiver. And it's more important to de-tackle is finding that bookend of Miles Garrett. Wow. All right. Uh, interesting stuff, as always. Well put by Browns beat reporter Scott Petrack. Follow him on a daily basis for all the breaking news at Scott Petrack on Twitter and uh, bookmark uh, the website, brownzone.com, for the latest information, stories, photos, and all of the above. Scotty, you're the best. We appreciate the time. As always, Happy New Year. Thanks so much. Thanks, fellas.